Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we gather this evening and you speak the words that you would have us here, as you call us to remember the reason that we celebrate this season, we would ask this evening that you break your words small, fit for our consumption. In your name we pray this. Amen. So last week as we began our Advent series on identifying and remembering what the reason for the Advent and Christmas seasons are. The readings were not terribly happy readings. We hear about the fall and the curse that God then gives. And yet the theme was one of reclamation, where God promises to claim back what is rightfully his from the beginning of time and what will be his at the end of time. And tonight, as we step a little bit further along in the story, our theme for this evening is restoration. Throughout Old Testament history, things seem to trend from bad to worse for the people of God. God gives them judges. And then they look around and they say, we want a king. So after much trying to persuade them otherwise, God says, fine. And he tells his prophet, give him a king. They've conquered the promised land. They've built a palace. Solomon gets to build the temple. And then the kingdom itself is rent in two. But the reality of where we left off last week is that oftentimes, not only in the Old Testament, but in our story as well, we actively and at times aggressively cut ourselves off from a faithful relationship with God. And yet we still hear these well-known words from John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But the next verse is just as important because he says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. For God so loved us that time and again and in the midst of trials unimaginable, the endurance of exile and at times of deepest desperation, he constantly reminds us that he did indeed have a plan for our restoration. And with every word of prophecy that was uttered, 
as it pointed to the restoration of the kingdom of God on earth, the kingdom of Israel, that there was also a deep thread of an even greater promise than that. That the king that he promised would come would not be one of earth, but rather one of heaven instead. Advent keeps us with feet firmly set in both kingdoms. The kingdom present and the kingdom yet to come. And the reason for this season is wrapped in the flesh of a baby king, born to a virgin mother in the lowliest of settings in the city of David. The book of Matthew begins the gospel narrative by going back through the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Abraham. And as a kid, we would get assigned these readings to do for school, and we'd go, yep, nope, not doing that one. Can't even pronounce half these names. And what would happen is, is that we would read it in chunks. We would see bits and pieces of God's story as we read little pieces of the Old Testament here and some New Testament over there. And then as you put the whole narrative together, And then you look at something like that list of names and you go, ah, I recognize that. That's where David comes from. And that's how David can be traced all the way back to Abraham. And that's how Joseph can trace his lineage back to David. And oh, by the way, there's some names on that list that you would never expect to see. Within only two generations of David's death, the once unified kingdom of Israel divides itself into two separate bodies. And then you fast forward a few more generations down the line, and eventually both kingdoms have been captured, taken into exile, and actually dispersed across the ancient world. And as the people cry out against the oppression upon their shoulders, God speaks through his prophets to remind them of how they ended up in this mess in the first place. The whole first chapter of the book of Lamentations is mourning and grief over the death of the holy city. And then promises their restoration of the house of David. In our reading from Amos tonight, the prophet speaks and says, For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations. As one shakes with a sieve, but no pebble shall fall to the earth. In that day I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen, 
and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. In the Gospel of Luke, we know how the narrative goes. We've heard it a hundred times, some of us maybe even a thousand. Caesar Augustus issues a decree that a census should be taken in all the land and each man should go back to the city of his birth. And Joseph, a man of the house and line of David, returns to Bethlehem. And we see this beautiful Christmas image where so often we can see it in our nativities, we can see it in our art, and there's this radiant joy that takes place. But as the angel first appears to Mary, Gabriel proclaims, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? In other words, how is this even possible, God? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Likewise, Gabriel appears to Joseph and proclaims, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived within her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now we've heard the readings. But oftentimes enough, we skip over this part in Christmas where this is a baby born to die. And that the reason for the season is in the restoration of the kingdom of God that comes only through Christ, his son. The season of Advent prepares us for a restoration that brings that same peace on earth that the angelic hosts proclaim to the shepherds in the fields. This peace 
that saves us from our sins. And in doing so, the sting and the sorrow and the sadness of death is also confronted with the Christmas hope that nothing is impossible with God. The work of Advent restoration is made plain when Jesus enters in as the greater King David without ever actually demanding a throne to sit upon. But the angel's words to Mary, Joseph, and the faithful shepherds bear both law and gospel. They hold the words of judgment that he comes to save his people from their sins and also of restoration, of tragedy and of triumph. Imagine 33 years later, And just picture this for a moment as Mary, the mother of Jesus, looks and sees this empty tomb that now is a complete mystery amongst the people. And Gabriel whispers over and says, nothing is impossible with God. Most how to say, I told you so. The kingdom that we get to see enter in at Christmas is only truly a glimpse of the kingdom that comes fully in Christ. But this foretaste keeps our eyes focused on the reason for the season, our restoration in Christ's kingdom, so that he always gets the glory now and forevermore. Amen.